customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Phil Hay Show. Hello there. Welcome to the show. The Phil Hay Show brought to you by The Athletic with us from The Square Ball. Dan and Michael from The Square Ball here with Phil Hay from The Athletic where you can read up on everything Leeds United. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod to get your sign up discount. Phil then, let's have a little catch up, shall we? Heading out of the um, the international break. We've had a, a week or two off. It's been all right, isn't it? It's been quite eventful since the last poddy. Wasn't it been a few bits and pieces going on? Security scares, injuries. Is it now fair to say that Scotland have one in them? To use Dan's yes, phrase. yeah, possibly they do. Unfortunately, Scotland always have one in them in the opposite direction as well. <laughs> so it is now inevitable that having turned Spain over, they'll lose to Georgia and um, probably suffer defeat away to Cyprus. So yes, um, but all good. Who was it in the Spain squad that was a bit disparaging about? Uh, it was Rodri, wasn't it? Scotland, Rodri, yes. I thought it was a bit rich, to be quite honest. They were, they were they were really well beat, well Spain, and crucial sort of two or three minute appearance from Liam Cooper as well towards the end, just to get a little um, Legion United angle in there. Um, it was a really really good win, and bizarrely top of the qualifying group after two games. Which, to be quite honest, these days I just never expect. I'm just I, I kind of set my standards to look for them to float around about third or fourth and be done. Yeah, going for the Champions League places. Yes, yeah, exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, England obviously playing as well over the um, the international break. Made a couple of uh, appearances in the US men's national team. But we mentioned on our show, didn't we, that um, we got distracted by the women's plate final when England were on. It's, it's still very, very hard to get engaged by England at times, isn't it? Well, I mean, England-Italy, I watched, truthfully. For Willie Nonto. For Willie Nonto. Yeah. That was the main reason I watched that. You kind of know the pattern of England games, don't you? But also, it's a, it's a game, Italy-England, isn't it? It's like a proper fixture. And there's a bit of jeopardy involved in it in the sense that England might actually drop points in it and, and might actually lose depending on how, how Italy play whereas the problem with qualifying groups and this is see where I guess Scotland have a, a bit of an advantage in terms of engagement is the problem with qualifying groups is that England cruise through them so easily that half the time you might as well just sleep through them and then wake up for the, the finals which they're always going to reach on repeat without fail so I quite enjoyed Italy England actually, just because it made a change to watching England Andorra, which tends to be standard fare. Although there is some intrigue further down the line. Oh, before we get to that, actually, we should say congratulations to the Legion United women's team 
um, absolutely for, for securing yeah. the play. It's it's a long road back to the top from from where they are because they they fell down through through the leagues, but a really really important step for the women's game. It is, and you would like to think that there would be a strategy at some point to turn this into a, a women's super league club, super league squad. It is a, a massive massive growth sport at the moment, and you've seen that by the the crowds that you're getting for Champions League games in particular. There was a discussion after the the Arsenal game, which was played at the Emirates um, in the Champions League, about the possibility that the women's team might start playing at the Emirates regularly or permanently, which would be, again, another big step forward. It's fair to say with Leeds that they're quite a long way under the radar when you talk about the the very height of, of the women's game. But it was nice for them big moment and as I say you'd like to think there'd be some sort of roadmap or path and um, take them on to bigger things yeah and what I was going to say before was that we get a date with Gianni Alioski don't we England to play North Macedonia um, in the coming months I think that one's is it Old Trafford that in October or thereabouts yeah I think we should all go don't you can you get us press access for yeah, that yeah why don't we yeah. why don't we get down the front in the book fast lounge shout, shout towards um, shout towards Gianni he's due I, I should um, try and pin him down for an an interview actually it's not gone it's not gone great for him since um since he, he went from Leeds he went to Saudi Arabia obviously which was a pretty lucrative contract but didn't go well up or as well as he would have wanted with the club there so he's he's back in Europe but yeah favorite favorite of the promotion squad really wasn't he we can't really go any further than without talking about the injury situation which you know you go into these uh international breaks and you see people making jokes about this kind of you know just get through it get to the other side hopefully people don't get injured and then lo and behold it happens and it's not so funny anymore is it it is no. an annoying time to play games isn't it it's one of those things do you think do these games need to be played like and do they need to be played now are you suggesting that we've been off all international football I, I, I was just going to say un- I think until the, Leeds United are secure in the Premier League yeah more or less yeah. I think the only answer to that is yeah just drop a bomb on the international game and um, remove it permanently because I mean, the, the international breaks, it's been different this season because of the World Cup, but it is a, an anomaly. Normally, it is always end of September, point in October, point in November, and then towards the end of March. So it's very standard and, you know, standard structure to the calendar in that sense. None of them are points where you want to lose players to injury, particularly. And somebody was saying to me, what, you know, kind of led off, off on this, this, with this line in the piece about, um, about Tyler Adams, who we'll get on to. You know, what, what is it with injuries at Leeds? And I was saying, well, basically, he giveth, he taketh, and he mostly taketh away constantly. And it is a case that there are, is the case that they've come back from this international break with three of the most important players injured. I don't think with Verber and Nonto, it's a serious concern for either of them. I, I don't expect them to play at Arsenal at the weekend, but probably not um, lengthy period out. We haven't had a timescale on Tyler Adams, but given that it's surgery on his hamstring and given that there are 11 games to go and just under two months it would be hard to predict how much he's going to play in the back end of the season if indeed he he plays at all so not great Uh, the only thing you would have to say with Adams is that it wasn't actually done on international duty it was done during training with Leeds before the game at Wolves but even so does feel a little bit doesn't it like we've been stuck in this vortex of injuries for ages now and I know Leeds are not the only club who, who have them plenty elsewhere and, and I don't imagine they're the only club who've come back from international the international break with players missing or players you know carrying concerns obviously same true of, of Arsenal as it happens but it feels like for the best part of two seasons this has been pretty constant Are we awaiting the Radrazani Adam Forshaw tweet or is he still nowhere near fitness either? No, we're well, Stuart Dallas this time Well this this is part of the, the issue really isn't it that and this is the piece we've run overnight with the combination or the, the choice of McKenney, Adams and Rocker, you feel like you've got 
alternatives there, different blends, um, different combinations, enough to work with, you would think, in, in a midfield too. You lose Adams and you've got Rocker and McKinney. You know, that's the that's the axis you've you've almost got to go for, given that behind those two you've got JB, who's very young, you've got Archie Gray, who is unbelievably young, both really, really talented and, and really good players, but asking a lot to pitch them in at this stage of a season like this. There is Forshaw in the background, but we haven't seen Forshaw for months now. There hasn't been an update on him. Gracia doesn't speak in any great detail about injured players, but was asked about Forshaw in Dallas a couple of weeks ago and said they're away from the squad. You know, they're undergoing treatment and still trying to, to get themselves fit and, and to recover. So even if, you know, Forshaw was back in the mix, given that he hasn't played for so long, it would be asking a hell of a lot for him even, I think, to, to step into this. So you really are now looking at the, the McKinney rock a combination to to see you through that was the the point of the piece that we wrote was to ask the question of how well do these two fit you know is this is this going to work is it going to work consistently and I suppose more to the point how much are they going to miss Adams because even though I don't think this season has showcased anybody particularly well at Leeds with rare exceptions like Nonto and um, you know I think Verba's been really good I, I think Rodrigo by distance has had his best season at Leeds so far but even so, if you look at Adam's defensive stats and and the data around that, it gets through a massive amount of work, which makes you think that A, he probably will be missed to, to some degree. And that even if the results haven't been great with him in the lineup, him playing regularly, they might well have been considerably worse without him on the pitch. Assuming the injury isn't too bad, we did see Verber make his debut in midfield, didn't we? So I guess that Maybe opens up a possibility there as well if if Cooper is fit and Strauch would, is I back. I would like Verba in defence, so, please. So would I. I. But, yes, but whether it, if it comes to a crucial relegation game and you're looking at maybe having a midfield of like Rocker and Archie Gray, though, do you go for I, something I, a bit more a bit more experienced and solid in the midfield? I think that's a, a fair point and and a fair shout. There was there wasn't there a sustained period where it felt as if it was Robin Koch in midfield or it was Stroich in midfield and you sat there thinking, could we just play a centre mid in central midfield area or somebody a bit more suited to that? Verber, I think, has made a big difference at the back. I think he's made a difference to um, to Firpo, to the left of him. I don't think you particularly want to be shifting him out of that role. I think you also have to probably acknowledge how little football Cooper has played recently. I guess it's a... Welcome to the Emirates. Yes, I, I guess it's a, <laughs> it's an option if you need it. Verber, you, you could use him there. But I think if McKenney and Rocker can see leads through, that seems to me to be the partnership that Gracia will go for. With uh, regards to Gracia timing, the fact that he doesn't give much away, we should say we are recording here on late Thursday morning ahead of Javi's press conference, but this show will be out afterwards, so you will know the contents of that. Um, so we are now journeying back into... The, the before times when we're trying to predict what's uh, what's going to be said, but he is quite cagey when it comes to. Yeah, I don't think he's going to sit and tell us he's eleven, is he? I mean, no. wouldn't have thought. But it is extremely unfortunate. I think, as I say, I, I, I think Adam's attitude and character is probably what you want for a situation like this and a and a running like this. I don't think it's necessarily the case that they can't do without him, but they absolutely cannot afford, or you wouldn't think they can really afford to be without him, Verber and Nonto um, for any length of time. Certainly, you know, safe to assume that Adams isn't going to feature against Forest or Palace next week. But, you know, with, with Nonto and Verber, those are games that you absolutely want to have them on the pitch. Nonto's going to be a miss, isn't he? The only thing is, is he has been rested a little bit and managed through the last few weeks, you feel. Yeah, I see it 
little shades of the Bielsa's actually in Gracia in the way that he doesn't seem to fixate on individual footballers, doesn't seem to stress unduly about the absence of individual footballers. I don't think that's to say that he won't be sitting ruining the fact that this weekend he's probably going to be without Adams, Nonto and and Verba, although I guess on the flip side, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you would almost say that if there was a weekend where you had to be missing key players, perhaps this is actually a good one, given that the odds of taking anything from Arsenal are, are pretty slim anyway. But he won't want to take a hammering down there. He'll want Leeds to play well. He'll want them to compete well, and it doesn't help when, when they're absent. But I think I think Gracia, to me, seems like, in the way that, that Bielsa used to think, far more focused on your collective eleven. And and your squad at large, as opposed to sitting saying Nonto has to play every week or he has to play every week. It doesn't seem like that's the way he's approaching this job at all. And I don't know if it was different at Watford, but it just doesn't seem to me like a coach who is reliant on individual players to see him through. And presumably Sinistera closer to fitness now. Should be. And the, the plan through these two weeks was to get Rodrigo up to the point where he could start as well. So it might well be that he's in, in the frame to... Um, to be there from the outset um, against Arsenal on Saturday. We'll talk about Arsenal more uh, in part three of the show. You mentioned before about dropping a bomb on the uh, on the international, oh, well, the whole concept of international football, which felt quite dramatic there, Phil. Uh, but we'll roll with it. Bomb threats, Ellen Road, evacuations. Do, uh, what, what's happened there? It's, yes. It's kind of, I feel like everyone's sli- just slightly bemused by this. Well, it was, it was massively out of the blue. On Friday morning, there was a tweet from Leeds saying, we've closed the stadium and the club shop and the foundation on police advice and once we we dug into it it became clear that there'd been a threat a security threat um, made towards the stadium I believe if you if you can actually threaten an inanimate object but clearly you understand you can read between the lines of, of what's probably gone on there we haven't been given any detail beyond the age of the, the the suspect involved and no detail either about exactly what was said or exactly what was threatened but it was a, a threat that was made online the police picked up on that on um, Thursday night report to them from a member of the public rather than um, somebody at the club. So Ellen Road was closed on Friday as they considered what to do next. They have arrested one person, 20-year-old man, who um, at the moment is um, on police bail, has been released while they carry out further investigations. Ellen Road was shut on Saturday as well, but reopened on Sunday. So clearly they they were comfortable enough um, with the the situation to be able to, to let the stadium operate again but suffice to say you know from a logis- logistical point of view and, and clearly the first priority was that everybody was safe and nobody was at risk or, or, or hurt in any way but had that fallen during a match day week I was thinking on, this, on yeah. a Saturday it would have been logistically incredibly complicated and I think there would there would have had to have been a postponement yeah there would have been no choice yeah it does beg the question doesn't it of, uh, of what they would have done well they could not have said Ah, crucial point of the Premier League season. So you know, just carry on, keep going. You know, there yeah. Was, I mean, it would have been an interesting, I think, uh, I think safety inter- takes precedence. An interesting it? litmus test about how strong the Premier League brand is. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It would have been. It would have been very, very complicated. And I think it was probably helpful that it was in the international break when the stadium tends to be a little bit quieter and and more people will take time time away. But no, um, staff were sent home on the Friday, weren't there? On the Saturday, reopened on the Sunday, and is uh, operated. As normal this week, but a slightly a slightly odd development, and one to keep eyes on. As I say, at the moment, suspect is on police bail, so we'll we'll see where that goes. But no actual device found because I think some of the reporting around it almost hinted at the fact they had found something. But I think they had it was the description of the threat had been described as viable or something. I think it led some people thinking, oh, they've actually found something here. But as far no, as I, they didn't. I think 
I think once the police looked into it, they absolutely thought that it was a, a viable threat as opposed to just, you know, someone having a joke. But I don't believe anything was found. They haven't gone into um, specific detail about that. I think if anything had been found, it's highly unlikely that the stadium would have opened as quickly as it had on the Sunday. But as I say, it's, it's quite um, it's quite light on detail. And as it stands at the moment, 20-year-old man on police bail and wait for further developments. Yeah, and they purposefully don't release details of stuff like this to encourage people not to do the same sort of stupid stuff, you know, because it can encourage people to do copycat. Um, uh, definitely that. And also there's, there's due process, isn't there? Legally, you've got to handle these things in the right way and there are um, limitations from time to time on, on what you can say, which applies to us as much as them. Just wrapping up other stuff that's happened in the window, we've seen some more uh, managerial shifts in the Premier League in terms of Conte's gone from Spurs, Hodgson is back at Palace. Which do you think will be the happier club out of the two? At the end of the season, I think the happy club out of the two will be Tottenham. Um, although Tottenham just look like they're now going to get, you know, are they now going to proceed through the cycle that they seem to go through endlessly, Spursy. which is yeah, Spursy, which is appoint somebody else who doesn't really float the boat enough, doesn't really deliver much beyond what people would expect of them anyway. Perhaps they will get into the the Champions League, but it reminds me, it reminds me a little bit of a great tweet. You remember when, towards the end of Wenger's time, Arsenal were constantly in the Champions League, but never going particularly far in it and used to get eliminated in last 16 quarterfinals, whatever it was. There was a great tweet from an Arsenal fan who said at one point, as they were getting beaten, I think, by Barcelona, the sooner we get knocked out of this competition, the sooner we can concentrate on qualifying for it. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit, it feels a little bit like that at Tottenham. I don't feel like Tottenham really know how to jump and bridge the gap. You know, it doesn't... They've got this amazing stadium. Um, there's a really good piece written by one of our Spurs writers, I forget exactly who it was, which was saying, they've got this great stadium, I think it was Tim Spears, but actually, they don't look like a team who kind of match up to it. And are they going to be able to... Are they going to be able to do essentially what Arsenal have managed to do, which is to go from starting to kind of knock on the door again of Champions League qualification, which clearly they'd, they'd lost for a while and actually turn themselves into title contenders. And we'll get on to Arsenal, but I don't know about you, they're starting now, I think, to get to the point where you feel like they're going to do it. So you're saying to Spurs fans then, they might just have to wait 20 years, and then they can finally challenge the league title. Well, if you've waited 20 years, what's another 20 years? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not quite sure what they're going to do managerially, or with the squad that's going to make them a considerably stronger force next season. And clearly they've got a big question to answer about Harry Kane coming up because his contract is is dwindling rapidly. It's kind of strange because it, I'm not sure I, I really expect Spurs to go for Pochettino, but the fact that he's kind of in been mentioned as as being in the running potentially, given the way it ended for him, is not so unlike Crystal Palace sacking Vieira and going for the guy that they sacked two years earlier. We were saying just before we started recording, kind of weird, isn't it? The way in which you know football lacks imagination. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it, actually. And it seems to return constantly to the same old thing. You know, from time to time, you get clubs who do kind of broaden their thinking and try to be a bit creative and a bit novel. You know, like, so Brighton going for De Zerbe as an example, you know, by no means the obvious choice, but clearly something that they've they thought a lot about. I get that replacing your manager in March is difficult. And we wrote that piece saying that you appoint a manager in March makes very little positive difference to your league position. The thing with Palace is they don't need it to make a particularly positive difference. They just need to stay where they are. But same for Leeds. It'd be very interesting to see where they are by the end of next week, given that they've got to come to Ellen Road next Sunday. I think Tim Sherwood deserves another go. 
do you think it's beyond the bounds of possibility that at some stage somebody will give Tim Shelby another go? This is kind of kind of the point, isn't it? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We skimmed past uh, Willie Nonto's injury a little bit there in, in part one, Phil. Worth returning to him and, and having a little chat about him and the the impact he's he's had on our season overall. And, and maybe as well, you know, we've seen Victor Alto speaking this week um, in Revelo in Spain doing an interview. And, you know, arguably is, is Willie Nonto his his finest hour? You'll find that out over time. I think the point with Alta and the recruitment at Leeds is that while some of it has not worked and some of it has gone spectacularly wrong, like Augustine, for example, there have been some very good signings in this period as well from people like Clake and Melier through to Nontos and others, I, I don't think it's black and white either way that it's been that recruitment has been poor or recruitment has been great. And maybe that's true of a lot of clubs that it tends to fall somewhere in the middle. We wrote about Nonto earlier this week. I, I wrote a piece with James Honcastle, who does our Serie A coverage, our Italian coverage. And it's been quite noticeable, I think, that little by little, Serie A has started to pick up on Nonto. And I think more and more I'm aware of people looking at him and thinking, Given that he's an Italy international and is very, very talented, there's a lot of potential, a lot about him. I, I honestly think he's a really clever player, Nonto. Look at him, I just think he, he properly oozes intelligence. Aside from you know the pace and the dynamism and everything else, just seems really, really bright. Um, and is really bright. I mean, he speaks a lot of languages, educated guy. But more and more people seem to be saying, why did nobody in Italy bother with this lad? You know, he, he was... Around about four million pounds to sign. Well, that's my um, follow-up from, question, sir. From Zurich. Well, <laughs> How did we get him for four million pounds as a full international? Because I'm not saying nobody else was interested, but nobody else was interested enough. So at the start of the last summer window, Zurich's asking price was around about ten million pounds, which nobody was nobody was paying. Feyenoord were really heavily linked with him, but Leeds Leeds had been tipped off um, about two years ago by a guy called Walter Fernandez, who ex-footballer who started out with Barcelona, didn't make it Barcelona, but started out there, friend or contact of Victor Alters, passed the name on and said, this is somebody worth looking at. Leeds were under the impression that the most competition they were going to face was from Antwerp in Belgium. And while people who know Nonto have, have told us that, yes, Italian clubs were aware of him and were looking at him, and, and he'd obviously been in Inter Milan's academy and they'd chosen to leave. You know, they'd offered him a professional contract. He decided he wasn't going to take it because he didn't think he was going to play. You know, he didn't think he was, he was going to go through to the senior squad. And nobody in Italy got particularly busy with it at all. The City Football Group talked about taking him to France, to Ligue 1, but um, he wasn't, Nonto didn't seem particularly keen on that. And to cut a long story short, there just wasn't very much competition. So Leeds were getting this this 
18-year-old, this teenager, for four to five million pounds. And in the end, you'd probably say this season is about the best four million pounds they've spent. But even better value, I think, or, or even smarter investment was the 400,000 that they paid extra to bring the transfer forward because he was supposed to come at a later date. But because of what had gone on with Gakpo and because they'd had a go at getting Bamba Dieng from Marseille, but Dieng hadn't gotten the plane and that, that had fallen apart on deadline day, in the end, they, they decided to bring Nonto forward to, to give themselves another forward, um, which they, another goal scorer, another attacker, um, which, they, which they needed. And it does look ever more now like the kind of rare steel that just doesn't seem to exist in the game. I was reading uh, Rory Smith in the New York Times did a piece on um, Karic Kelly over at Napoli and that is another one actually where he a lot of clubs could have had him and nobody seemed to bother uh, and nobody seemed to nail down the fact that there was a big, big diamond there that you should get and would probably not cost you much money and now he's gone to Napoli and playing as he is. You know, Napoli could pretty much name the price for him if, if they were going to sell him. And with Nonto, his value must have increased tenfold this season, I would imagine. If you were coming in trying to buy Nonto now, you're going to have to start talking, at, given what, as an example, what Leeds have paid for Jorginho Ruta from Hoffenheim. You're going to have to start talking 30, 40 million pounds, aren't you, before you even get going? I'd want more. Well, yeah, but well, that's, the point. that's the yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, we're talking in part one there about maybe football lacking a little bit of imagination. Is it risk averse in that sense? Like, people see these players but just think, ah, oh, we're not prepared to take a punt on that in case it doesn't work. When you look at the guy, I'm not going to try to say his name at Napoli because I know Karachkelia. That's the one. He was on our radar, wasn't he? His name was being mentioned in Leeds United circles. I don't know if it ever went beyond Twitter rumours, but you expect, they're all looking at the same players, aren't they, fundamentally? Physically, he doesn't look like your average footballer, Karic Kelia. And, and that's probably true of Nonto as well. And, and a few people have told us that his size and his, his stockiness did kind of count against him in Italy because people will say that when you see him train, he can look slightly ungainly, except the, the odd thing about that is that I look at him in the games and, and when he sprints and, and moves at pace, He's got great balance. He looks really fluent. You know, you just straight away you think he's good. His stockiness actually makes, makes you believe, yeah, that he can't be knocked off the ball. Yeah. I say believe it. You see it with your eyes. So it's like the full package. You're, yeah. you're lightning quick. Um, you've got good balance, but you're strong enough to be able to cope with the way that the defenders are going to get stuck in. And you're you. bloody lovely as well. Um, yeah, there's there is that, which is <laughs> you know, it's enough reason in itself to to have you on on board. You'll have seen the quotes recently from. Roberto Mancini, the, the Italy coach, about the fact that there are very few young Italian footballers playing in Serie A or playing at high enough level in Serie A where they're giving him a serious chance of being able to call them up or, or convincing them that they're ready. And Nonto's probably the best example of that, or definitely a case in point. The fact that you've got this Italy international who looks to, extremely gifted, has a lot of talent, but is playing in the Premier League and, and was absolutely there for the taking last summer it wasn't as if Zurich were resistant to you know to offers or to interest in him and actually he was so available that in the end Leeds were able to make the offer that they did prior to advancing the transfer and, and doing it in August rather than waiting until January or further down the line they were able to agree with Zurich that they would pay four to five million pounds for him but take him at a later date it wasn't as, even as if they were saying to Zurich we want him here and now so Zurich had the option of saying no, we won't do that. Do you know what? Let's see how he develops this season and actually he could end up being worth a whole lot more. They kind of just made the bed and said, yeah, that's that's fine with us. That's the other thing I meant though about like the lack of imagination and maybe being risk averse is that uh, when you look at your guy at Napoli, not going to try and say it again, plus Nonto, you, you wonder if maybe 
There are call him Shea Kivara. That's what they nicknamed him oh, over there, which is there pre- go. pretty good. That's a good one. Pretty good, yeah. I was going to say like directors of football and, and scouts and stuff not willing to take a punt on on these players who are not playing in the sort of big five leagues or maybe the ones in its periphery because Nonto was in Switzerland. Then it's not considered a high enough level uh, as evidence of proof that they're good enough for the Premier League. Let's say. But then again, I guess you look at some of Victor Alta's, particularly the earlier signings, and that is the market we were in. We were in for. J. Roy Grot and yeah. Pavel Chibiki and people like that who certainly weren't obvious and it turned out also weren't very good. Yeah, I wouldn't have said Leeds are particularly risk-averse. Probably the opposite, actually. Because they, um, they need to be, I think, don't they, to an extent? Partly because they need to be and, and partly as well because I think sometimes they do avoid the sort of obvious deals um, and they do try to find things out there that perhaps other people haven't picked up on. I mean, Melier, again, at £5 million from Lorient, it wasn't as if Nobody knew about Melier. Chelsea had had a go at him and he'd said no to them um, because of the timing of, of their offer. It was too late in, the, in that particular transfer window. But again, that's somebody who who is whose value is enhanced over time um, and it would be worth a lot more now if, if you were you were selling him. I think it is made tricky by the fact that, as you say, clubs now, particularly your, your biggest clubs, have such broad scouting networks and, and pay so much attention and devote so much time to recruitment that it goes back to that story Otto used to tell about one of the junior South American um, championships. The first time he went to that to scout, there were you know a small handful of people, and then by the time he's gone back a few years later, there were hundreds. You know, so everybody's gone back to Europe to different clubs, saying these players are good, which means that hundreds of European clubs are looking at them and saying, oh, maybe worth signing them. And suddenly, it's a it's a massive massive bun fight. But Nonto, yeah, I, I always like the stories where somebody who seemed to be quite off the beaten track it, it turns out to be a revelation and I think I, I wouldn't be surprised either if something that counted against Nonto to a degree was his decision to go to Switzerland as, as back to front as that sounds actually it strikes you as somebody with the with the head screwed on who realises that they need to push themselves they need to play that it's worth the chance of going there to expose yourself a little bit more but I can imagine saying no to a professional contractor into Milan and departing to Zurich might have made certain people think, hmm, a bit weird. Is it maybe a path for players in the future this, to make that decision to actually leave a big academy? Because you think it, the che- the players that Chelsea have all signed, they've signed this summer, you almost think if they'd have been in their academy, they'd probably just be on loan at Huddersfield now and not actually get in the team. But because they've they've played games somewhere, they're then willing to spend 80, 100 million pounds on them. It's a hard decision and a hard balance made even more difficult, I think, by the fact that academies pay players, top academies pay players a lot of money now. So you um, you can be young, you can be quite a distance from the first team and you can earn very, very handsomely. It's quite a comfortable environment if you know it well. You know, it's not as if training facilities at the, the very top level don't pamper people. You know, it's a, a nice world to exist in. I guess if you go from, say, into, I don't know what Inter's facilities are like, I've never been but I would imagine that bouncing from there to the Swiss Premier League is probably a little bit of a, a culture shock. So you have to be brave in order to do it. But I think what's come more and more coming out of Italy is the, the view and the feeling that actually clubs over there need to start being brave with the players that they're willing to, to push through. And that's the you know that that's kind of the message that or the, the drum that Mancini is trying to bang is please give more of these youngsters, Italian youngsters, a chance because if you don't, I can't pick them. We mentioned uh, Victor Orta's interview in Spain with uh, with Revelo. Before and it's the first time we've heard him say he intends in the medium term to to return home, and I guess he does dovetail with the chat about Nonto based on what I was saying, you know, about ten minutes ago that 
when you analyse his record, this is going to be a big one in the, in the plus column. Uh, where do you stand on Victor Orta's time then at Erlen Road? Because I know that there will have been people who saw the interview in Spain and gone, I'll drive him there myself because that's, well, we're, we're a bit like that as football fans, aren't we? Yeah, I don't think it's actually too much of a, it was a really good piece. I really enjoyed it and there was um, there was a lot of insight in it. I don't think it's much of a revelation to hear him say that in the medium term he sees himself going back to Spain. The Spanish part, man sees himself in Spain, shocker. Yes, and also <laughs> I, I don't think he saw himself as working at Leeds forever or in, in English football forever. This has clearly changed because I don't think it's it's going to happen on Radrazani's watch. But the idea was, after promotion, that they find a way to get Leeds into Europe. They see Leeds play in Europe and at that point they say, OK, we've done a bit and we go. Now, clearly if Leeds stay up, 49ers are going to buy them. And what part Otter will play in that remains to be seen. I don't, I've said this before, I don't get the impression that it will be necessarily a massive clear out at that level of people like him and, and Angus Kinnear and so on. But things change and, and different regimes mean um, different ideas and um, and different plans. So it wouldn't be any surprise to me if he went from Leeds to see him at a Spanish club, you know, a fairly fairly major Spanish club. And I think, I always say this, there are a lot of people in the game who really rate Orta and I don't think he'll be short of offers particularly. How do I view him or his impact? I think I see the mistakes. I definitely see the mistakes. I see the things that went well. I think the you said, you know, Nonto will always be seen or Nonto might come to be seen as the, the really big tick in the, the Orta column. I, I still think Bielsa, the Bielsa appointment will supersede that always, the fact that, that he, he went for him. I think you would be. It would be a more glowing appraisal of Orta will be writing in 2020 or 2021 because clearly the the last two years have been extremely tough. But I do think it's really easy to underestimate the difficulty of a director of football's job, sporting director's job, whatever whatever it is. You have to do it well because football involves a lot of money. It's a lot of pressure attached to that. A lot of pressure. You see it in Otto, don't you? You see it from time to time, what happens, um, his his reactions in the director's box. He's a passionate guy, but I don't think necessarily that always helps. You know, I don't think it's always a, a good look. I think, again, people warm to that when things are going well, don't they? When it's not going well, that's the sort of thing that, that aggravates people. But then again, that is football the world over. And, the, and there are a lot of things about football where that's true. Everybody's happy. It's, it's like managers. When the results are good, people love what a manager says. When results are poor, even if a manager is essentially saying what he was saying before, they start to hate it because it's the answers are not coming in the form of results and performances, which is which is what you what you want. I, I can't speak for Otto here, but I would imagine that the lure, say, of going back to Spain or somewhere else, must be stronger now than it was two years ago when everything was going going well. I find it hard to imagine that the last couple of seasons will have been in any way enjoyable. Probably not that rewarding. I think it would be completely pointless to exit the job saying that everything went well and saying that everything went to plan but you know as I say I never underestimate actually how hard that job um, is becoming and I don't just mean it leads I mean generally being a director of director of football I mean I'll give you, give you an example Edu at Arsenal obviously we do a lot of Arsenal coverage and was well aware prior to this season of the criticism that Edu w- was getting down there and then suddenly it clicks you know suddenly it clicks and it happens and, and the the kind of wall of criticism of Arteta and the pressure that there was for them to sack Arteta is replaced by the feeling that actually Arteta is something really special and is about to deliver something really special. I was going to um, say, we were reminded on our show this week that um, not too long ago, it was on Arsenal fan TV, wasn't it? Somebody referred to him as a war criminal. They, they, said they, compared, <laughs> what? they compared what he was doing at Arsenal to a war crime. 
And then now he's going to take him to the title. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they're going to take him to the Hague. No. And what, what, would, what on earth was the context of that? I think he he just made, just a, bad, lost he made a bad yeah. substitution or something. I think. But you know, you know how things get these days. Yeah. This, this is it. But again, it's about balance, isn't it? There's, there's no way in which Leeds can get away with relegation on the last day of last season, and then you know being nineteenth as they were before the, the win over Wolves and expect people to sit saying well this is going well isn't it yeah you know this, you're ticking ticking all the boxes here I think you've always got to temper criticism with the acceptance that A as you can see from the Premier League table it's an incredibly brutal league you know look at the bottom end of it and how many teams are, are potentially in trouble this season it's very easy to to get sucked into into that and B the fact that it's dead easy to make mistakes in football isn't it and, and also easy to make mistakes in circumstances where you think it should work. You know, same players that you think... I mean, Rodrigo, he came from Valencia, played in the Champions League. Good footballer, as we're seeing this season. You know, talented, great finisher when he's in in the mood. It just hasn't worked, does it? It just hasn't worked. And perhaps it was the wrong signing. Perhaps he wasn't actually suited to the way Leeds were playing. But he's still a good player and it just hasn't worked out. On the other hand, people like Augustine, I think if you start to look at his track record and what's gone on since, part of you does think that was a... You know, it was a bad error, that one, wasn't it? And it's been an expensive one as well. But where I think you can be more critical is on something like, for example, the appointment of Marsh, which is hard to see how that married up to what Leeds wanted or married up to what Leeds were going to need in the Premier League and also the length of time given to him. And, and again, a lot of criticism constantly of clubs for being a bit too trigger happy. Um, so Leeds won and then you get criticised for not being trigger happy. Um, and sometimes you... You kind of can't win. But oh, I think, always with the benefit of hindsight. We should always say that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. As someone said to me, I, I was listening to radio the other day and someone was, I can't remember what was being discussed, but um, one of the people being interviewed and the interviewer said to him, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And he just said, yeah, but foresight is much better <laughs> you know, like, and much um, much more valuable. So I feel like it's, um, I feel like a massive grey areas in this. You, in no way could you say it's been an outright success. But they are still a Premier League club. And if Gracia can get it together in the last 11 games and, and keep Leeds up, then they'll be a Premier League club for a fourth season and counting. They'll have the chance to, to reset again and never discount where they were when this all started. I was going to say, actually, you know, like if this is the end of Rajazani's regime, because if we stay up 49 as enterprises, buy him out, then we can all then take a step back and say, he joined us when we were in the middle to lower reaches of the championship. He's left us in the Premier League. There were some big errors along the way, but there were also some brilliant points as well. And actually, we can take your legacy, if that's what you want to call it, as a whole and say you did really well. And I think, I wish that's something he knew and when he gets reactive, you know, to stuff on Twitter. And I and I think they probably feel like they're under fire this season, the people at Leeds. Oh, for sure. And, yeah. and under great pressure as well um, and under great scrutiny. But assuming we get over the line by the end of the season, it's all going to be framed differently, isn't it? Everyone's going to go, okay, fine. Errors were made, but here we are. Everything is a shelf life and you quite often see this with managers in particular, sometimes with players, but more the case of managerial reigns which burn really brightly and are hugely successful and then it starts to dip and it starts to, to wane and you almost need to know the point at which you, you have to go. you know. And, and the club need to know that, coach need to, to know that. I guess it's the same with ownership as well. Some ownership cycles go on indefinitely. I don't, I, I don't think any of us were getting the impression that had it not worked out as it did for Abramovich because of politics that he'd have been exiting from there in, in the way that he did. And likewise, Abu Dhabi at Manchester City, you almost feel 
that in 20 years' time they could still be cracking on in, in the way that they are at the moment. But sometimes you do need a freshen up. Sometimes you do need fresh start, new ideas, bit of new blood. You couldn't say that the that 49ers enterprises are new blood as such because they've been on the scene for a long time. But them running the club and you know having total authority to do so would be a big change from what we've had for from, from 2017 onwards. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. And to Arsenal, to the Emirates at the weekend, Phil. Before you turn your guns onto me and say, we've always got one in us, Dan. Let me say this. No, because I know you're not going to say that this week, are you? I expect us to lose. Yep. I'd be dead happy with a draw, but a win would be amazing. That's how I feel about it. It would, um, there'd be other people in the Premier League who'd be very happy with that. Although no, nobody at the bottom end of it, it has to be said. It's incredibly difficult to make a case for Leeds winning this and I think this goes beyond Liverpool away Chelsea at home although weirdly I thought a lot this week about Arsenal at home and how lucky they were to get out of that with a, with a win particularly the the onslaught in the second half I mean it, it the finish for their goal was very very tidy but it was cheaply given away yeah. that chance and I, well, I did sit there because I was kind of behind it as he put it in I was like how's he done that? yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, Saka at the near post, wasn't it? Yeah. But it was that it was that ludicrous Rodrigo crossfield pass, which various people tried to blame on strike. But I'm sorry, I think um, you know causing causing effect. But then it felt for the whole of the second half like Arsenal were cl- trying to claim this rope that they just could not get to the top of, and all the pressure that that was on them. Leeds should have taken something from that game, absolutely. So I guess on that basis, you sort of think to yourself, well, perhaps this can be more competitive than on on paper you would make it. It just feels at the moment like Arsenal really, really have the, you know, the bit between the teeth. City clearly have a game in hand so they can cut the gap to five points. But five points, given that we're almost up to 30 games played, is quite a big margin. Um, And I said to you earlier that I've sort of felt all season that City will probably just reel them in, probably just reel them in. But I'm starting to wonder now whether Arsenal have actually got themselves far enough, far enough down the line where they'll be able to finish this off. Particularly with Man City having an eye on the Champions League as well. You can't discount yeah. that from their thinking that it's... Yeah, they've, they've won the Premier League before. I'm sure they'll win it yeah, again, it was, whatever. It was, it was yeah. quite telling, wasn't it, that interview with Haaland where he said, look, they've brought me here to win the Champions League. <laughs> it was that thing of, you kind of roll your eyes. Well, yeah, we win the Premier League all the time. So, you know, might as well just win, win something else. Yeah, fill your boots. Bored of that um, one. Yeah, yeah <laughs> let's have, let's have some, something else. And, and evidently, the, um, the Champions League is the one thing that is badly missing from... Guardiola's um, resume there the thing about Arsenal this season is that I do still think City have the better squad pound for pound but Arsenal have so many players who are in form and so many players who've been in form all the way through the season and are so many players who are playing better this year than they ever have before particularly guys like Martinelli and Saka who are so dangerous and that you know that is where 
no end of the threat will come on Saturday. Those two in that, uh, you know, on the, on the wider parts of that front three. I don't know whether it's just because Arsenal haven't won it for so long, but I look at the league this year and I think there's no one unbeatable in there. But then Arsenal are on track for like to finish on like 93, 94 points, which is pretty close to unbeatable. But there's still a bit of me goes, yeah, but it's Arsenal. Man City finishing on, they finished like 93, 94 points last year, didn't they? They do it every year, don't they? And they, <laughs> but they felt, it felt, you went to those games going, well, right off. There's no chance of getting anything here. You don't get that from Arsenal. Is that is that because we, we played really well against the Billy in the season? But that's probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but we did, we played really well against we the We did play really season, well, didn't we? It's not been plain sailing for Arsenal. It's not been as easy, I think, as the table makes it look. And and I wonder when this all wraps up, if people will feel on both sides, you know, it's in Arsenal, that that weekend where Arsenal were almost held to a 2 0 draw by Villa and then City managed to miss about 30 chances at Forest and draw 1 0, whether that will end up looking really pivotal because that was almost the point at which Arsenal kind of slipped properly and let City back into it. And then there was just this swing of points from nowhere almost made that well did make the position stronger and 70 points after 28 games it, it'll be going some now if if they don't win this Arsenal it'll be by hair's breadth when it is it's now I think at the point where it really will be the narrowest of margins if City managed to get in front of them um, and being a bloody minded football fan there are, there's humour in, in it finishing either way in the sense that Arsenal winning it would be a nice refreshing change from the, the usual Man City lifting it but if Man City do happen to reel them in and do happen to pip them to it, you can kind of laugh at them blowing it from an eight-point lead, can't you? Also, this weekend, injuries clearly on the lead side, so we'll find out from Gracia shortly, but I, I think Nonto won't be involved, Adams won't be involved, Berber, I would I would doubt. I think they'll, they'll be missing. But it's not as if Arsenal don't have problems as well. Partey has an injury, not sure if he'll play. Um, Saliba and Ketia both have been doubtful, might be involved, might not be involved. Tommy Asu as well. Um, Tierney looked like he might have picked something up in the Scotland game earlier in, in the week, although the vibe seems to be that he's probably probably okay. So they're not necessarily... A kick from Liam Cooper in training. Strength. Yeah. Or, I mean, or is it something that'll need antibiotics? That's the, that's, the, that's, the, that's, the <laughs> thing to, that's the thing to do. But they won't be at full strength. The thing is, the way they've constructed their squad now, you've got Jesus back from injury. So... Even if you're without Nketiah. They shouldn't rush him back. Jesus. No, just take your time with him. Yeah, yeah. Just mm-hmm. don't play. next weekend. Don't risk yeah, it. Yeah, next, yeah don't next risk weekend. it. They, as I say, I, I think pound for pound, you'd take City squad over Arsenal. But some of the individual players, the form all season has been absolutely exceptional. Um, and I think irrespective of Haaland's goals at City, and he's a great first season, I think you could as easily make a case for Premier League Player of the Year for somebody like Saka. You know, I, I think um, I think I have every bit as strong a claim. He's a bit good, isn't he? Um, let me throw a stat at you, Phil. Hey, Johnny Cooper. We did a, a sit down chat with Johnny Cooper for an He's hour. He's great as Johnny, isn't yeah, he? His numbers are fantastic. Yeah, at, at JR Cooper twenty six. I got his his uh, his handle wrong when I actually recorded the show with him, <laughs> so I'll reiterate it now. But we did like an hour long chat with him, just his his history working through uh, football manager. He was the guy who assigned the numbers for Leeds United players around the Warnock era, and then he ended up getting a job at Opta, um, who obviously do all the stats and stuff for the Premier League for the TV and all that. If you've seen the the account at Opta Joe, he's one of the uh, the people behind that account, along with a, a team of people at Opta who who pull these stats. But on his own account, he pulls out some absolute gems when it comes to uh, to Leeds United. He messaged me this one, which I mentioned on our show. Bears repeating, we've played more games at the Emirates without winning than at any other stadium in our history. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Oh well. <laughs> see you this next is, week. This is the moment. <laughs> yeah. Either this is the moment, or see you Monday. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, no, that doesn't come as a massive surprise, actually. Um, Six games, that is, by the way. They'd almost see them win there under Grayson. They'd almost see them win that FA Cup tie before they got that that really, really late penalty. Yeah, seriously, seriously difficult game. Stats fascinate me, really, because back in the day when I first started doing this, it was all, how many goals have you scored? Didn't even really have assists. They didn't... um, they didn't exist. How many goals have you scored? How many corners were there in a game? How many shots on goal? How many shots on target? And that was pretty much it. And sometimes you got possession split, but even that took a little bit of time to develop. And now people come out with the most brilliant stuff. Richard Oddie, who who writes for a few of the um, the Nationals freelance, is n- notoriously brilliant with this stuff. But also there was somebody a while back who had worked out with Sheffield Wednesday that either the last coach to been appointed by them who was actually born on a Wednesday or was appointed on a Wednesday <laughs> was also the last coach to have won promotion with them and I think it was Paul Sturrock and I mean it's a totally pointless stat and it's you know it, it relates to nothing specifically but it's brilliant at the same time and that's sort of stuff that Johnny comes out with he's, he's very well worth a follow as Johnny every week and after every Leeds game there's something of interest that comes out of it You'd be tempted wouldn't you even if there was half a chance of Verber, Nonto etc being fit for this you think do you know what Let's sit this out, get them back well, for, that's, for Forest. Yeah, that's the point really, isn't it? If you had to choose a game this season that you were going to have to miss key players in, do you take your medicine and say, I'm likely to get much from the Emirates. So actually, if that's the one they have to sit out, then preferable to um, say Forest at home, Palace at home. Um, likewise, you'll say City away falls into the same category. There's another train of thought which says that the weaker you are at a place like the Emirates, the more liable you are to get a complete paste in. And, and clearly that's true. But Next week's the one, isn't it? Really. Mm. Do you expect to see a setup kind of as we did against Brighton? Yes, I think it'll have to be slightly different because Arsenal don't play like Brighton. So I mean um, in terms of sitting off and Yeah, no, I, I I absolutely expect that to be the strategy and I think it would make make sense. It, obviously when they went toe to toe with Arsenal at Ellen Road, Arsenal didn't really enjoy that and it, it didn't work out for Leeds in the end, but they should have they were unlucky not to get a result. I just think at the Emirates it's a much bigger risk. And we're much further down the line now as well. Arsenal have the confidence of having won the number of games they have and being in the position that they're in. People who've been at the Emirates this season as well regularly say there is quite a noticeable difference between the atmosphere now and the atmosphere as it's been and has been a bit derided. They've got one. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I think... It's amazing what winning can do, isn't it? Are all the season ticket holders turning up now as well? Because for years they they announced um, full stadiums, didn't they? But you could look on telly and go, definitely a few thousand missing there. Well, again, I I feel like I'm Rory Smith's publicist here, but I remember him writing, and I I can't remember the exact timing of this, but let's say September time, after Arsenal had started well. And he he was writing about the fact that it just felt different at Arsenal, that there was an atmosphere there. They've developed kind of their version of ultras and so on they just felt like there was a bit more bite to them. And I know people who go to the ground regularly say that, you know, it is is different there. It is different. And there is this really big feeling of impetus and it is not a ground where anybody is going to go and take take liberties. You know, I mean, obviously City did win there, but even that was a a proper scrap of a game, you know, and and tight. City deserved to win it, but it it wasn't as if they strolled, um, strolled through it from from start to finish. So it's a really tough, um, really tough fixture. And as I say, I, I think, I think next next week, Forest and Palace, that is, uh, that is the moment, isn't it? There's going to be a certain stripe of Leeds fan who, who hears us talking in such what they might consider defeatist terms about going to Arsenal and not really being in with a shot. But um, do you subscribe to the idea that you do have to pick your battles, that it would be better to direct resources to this? Because th- there are fans who would say you've got to try and win every game. I don't think you have to 
pick your battles or direct resources in, or in fact, I don't think you should in the sense of saying, right, well, we're not going to get anything from this. So let's just go down there, take a hammer in and then I'll, I'll drive home. You do have to, to compete. And I think you can find from season to season that actually the results you pick up that you don't expect end up being really valuable. So if you can dig something out of Arsenal away, every other club around you is going to sit, you know, in the table is going to sit and say, I can't believe Leeds have done that. In the same way as we did when Bournemouth beat Liverpool down at, at Dean Court the other week, you do notice it. It does resonate because it, it makes a difference to the, the structure of the league. I think it's just realism, isn't it? One team of, of um, beating Arsenal at the Emirates this season uh, in the Premier League, it was City who have by a mile the most expensive squad. It's asking a huge amount to get anything from this. Not impossible. It's one of those where you need a random break to go for you, don't you? You need an early red card or a... I think the other thing with Arsenal though is that they're very difficult to resist even if you feel like you've you've got your foot in the game or you're ahead. I mean, the, the last minute winner against Man United, the goal against Bournemouth, what was that, like 97 minutes, something like that. Aston Villa away, that was injury time. They've been extremely good. It's not like they've been perfect, but they've been extremely good at digging it out when they've really needed to dig it out. And had it not been for those really late goals and those moments, City would probably be top of the table. And, you know, they'd, in the context of the title race, there'd be massive pressure on Arsenal and, and Arteta. Whereas at the moment, they... It can breathe a little bit easily, I think. What represents a good day for Leeds from this tie at the Emirates then? Well, obviously any good result would be hugely important and very, very welcome. I think competing, being in the game, avoiding avoiding a performance or a, a match that makes you look like through the 90 minutes you've been in slight disarray or you've been taken to, to the cleaners. I think it would help going into next week to go down there and to use that awful phrase that managers do, give a good account of themselves. Mm, um, no injuries. Well, the no injuries, yeah. Yeah, goes no, no goes, injuries, no suspensions. Goes without saying, there's not too many weekends <laughs> where I think injuries would be good. <laughs> uh, you know, we spoke like around the idea of with, with Gracia in charge and maybe, as you were saying, Michael, like a different approach to this game, maybe standing off them a little bit, whereas we went after them at Ellen Road in that game earlier in the season. And, and, and in many ways, possibly one of the, biggest feathers in Marsh's cap was that performance that day, albeit a, a losing one. But we are likely now to see a shift towards what we would expect tactically from Leeds, which is maybe to try and absorb it, sit and defend a little bit deeper, that kind of thing, which does point itself back to the idea of this one going in favour of the home team. There's very little point, I think, in Leeds being gung-ho this weekend, apart from the fact that Arsenal, that if you train punch with Arsenal, you're probably going to get knocked out. But Gracia seems to be trying, as, you, as you'd expect of coach coming in and trying to be sensible with what he's doing, he seems to be trying to build, you know, a proper tactical plan or his own tactical plan. And I don't think you do that, or at least I don't think you find consistency in it by playing one way one week and then the next week saying, actually, do you know what? Just um, go for gold down at the Emirates and, and see what happens. I think he'll feel that even if they were to lose at Arsenal, if they have another game where they're in his model and using his strategy and, and using his, his tactical plan then it should be good for them, you know, and it, it kind of, it's coherent and it carries you forward into what you would say are probably much more important games against Forest and Palace with a bit more training in that system, a bit more coaching in it, a bit more understanding of it. And so in theory, it improves and, and it gets better. I think these are the moments where you've got to stick to the programme, don't you? Um, I think you gain more from that, especially with the living games to go. I think you gain more from that than you do by kind of flip-flopping between ideas. Don't get me wrong, there do come points in a season and 
Brentford away last last season was probably one of them where you just got to win the game. So if you know if you have to go all out and and you've got to throw caution to the wind, then you don't have an awful lot of choice. But Leeds are absolutely not at that point at the moment. You know, the fourteenth after that win over Wolves, and it's only two points to the bottom three, but two points is two points, and it's better being in that position than it is being down nineteenth as they were. So they just need to be they just need to be sensible. They need they need to be realistic about this weekend. They need to go. They need to compete as well as they can. But I think they have to be rational in accepting that Arsenal at the moment look like the best of the best in this league. And uh, train down for you on Saturday, is it? Uh, yes, the real cans have indeed been cancelled. Um, so cans on the train. Yeah, as usual. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do tend to get there. Are always, always Leeds fans on the train, so you always get offered bits and pieces. But obviously, I'm a model journalist, so I say no. Decent food at Arsenal, though, isn't it? It always has been, yeah, yeah. Always has we don't been. need the, to know about your gilded life, Phil. The, the Ben and Jerry's fridge that was there the first time I went has gone. Um, <laughs> however, we turned we turned up for when they, our Leeds played there with um, Bielsa in the FA Cup. Oh, was that still, Melier's debut? Yes. Mm. So they were still in the Championship, weren't they? We turned up, and there was this massive, massive array of cakes, and I'm not talking like you know cupcakes and so on, like full on cakes, huge selection of them, and you could tell who was from Leeds because we were all standing around going. <laughs> Look at this. Whereas everybody else who goes there is just used to it, you know, pulling the boots. Yeah, but we we looked like we've been starved for that twenty little, years. Little Charlie Bucket going yeah, into, it was into exactly the chocolate like factory. That, like, yeah, hey, well, like, get some get some to take away after. Enjoy your well. pam- enjoy your pampered day out. Thank you, Mister Hay. We will, will. We'll reconvene next week. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds Pod to join in the match day discussion. Read Phil's analysis. We'll speak to you next week. The Phil Hay Show. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.